0: So, this week's Torah portion is Korach, or Korah. Um, Everybody know who Korah is? Does everybody remember the limerick I came up with? (laughs) When I gave my first sermon on Korah? Anybody who remembers it, I will give however much money Is in my, where's my wallet? My right pocket. No. There once was a man named Korah who's in this week's portion of Torah. He rebelled against Moses. Now he's pushing up roses. And he ain't rebelling no more. So before we start talking about our friend Cora, the topic that's on my heart to talk about is the topic of temptations. (laughs) 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 Okay, moving on. So this is... My favorite verse pertaining to temptations, I think it's very meaningful, and it's something we all need to absorb, and we need to learn something from it as well. This is from the Apostle Paul, Rav Shaul, who wrote, no temptation has overtaken you except something that's common to mankind, which means if you're struggling with something, you ain't the first. Got it? It may sound like, it may feel like you are, it may feel completely unique to you, But it's not. That's what he means by that. And God is faithful. This is so beautiful. He will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able. But with the temptation will provide a way of escape also. So you will be able to endure it. Let me just speak a little bit about a misconception of this verse. People think this verse means that whenever you're in any kind of trouble or you have any kind of challenge in your life or any sort of difficult circumstance, God will provide you the way out and the ability to endure it. That's not what it's saying. Temptation is not just challenge in life. Challenge is going to happen and some things are just, you know, there may not be a way out of it. Challenges happen. Things in life happens. Temptation is the urge to sin. That's what temptation is. It's, the, it's pre-sin. And this is what we're called to recognize as the people of God. As people who are committed and do our best to commit our ways to God's ways. We're called to recognize when we're being tempted and to not put it over the edge to sin. Now, it sounds like a very Old Testament type of message. But I think there's more in the New Testament about not sinning and living a holy life than there is in the Old Testament. It's all throughout the New Testament. The call of the people of God, the redeemed people... To live a holy life and to not sin. And I know that in Yeshua's prayer, when, he, when the disciples said, Yeshua, Lord, teach us how to pray. He said, God, don't, maybe not be led into temptation. Do not lead us into, into temptation, but deliver us from evil. So we're asking God not to bring us into a place of being tempted. And that is certainly a good thing. We don't want to be tempted. It's not a good feeling like to be tempted. Right. To be like, you can go there. Right. But to be honest with you, when I think of temptation, in a way, temptation is a blessing. Because it is our early warning signal that we can potentially sin. And people don't understand the difference between temptation and sin. People think when they are being tempted that they're sinning. But that's not the case. I think I have a verse here about that. James said, each one is tempted when he's carried away and enticed by his own lust. Then, when lust is conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin has run its course, it brings forth death. Do you understand that? Temptation is not sin. And I feel strongly about this, that people beat themselves up because of the struggles in their mind. Because the mind is a battlefield. But, and I got the Bible to back me up on this one, boy and girl, if your thoughts, as evil as they are, do not turn into action or speech, you have conquered the temptation and are victorious. If you lust and do nothing about it, you're victorious. If you're jealous of someone, like Cora apparently was, and don't let it devolve into sinful behavior or sinful t- thought, uh, speech, because speech is also included. Gossip is a sin. If you just let it go, recognize its temptation... See, I think I have a homework assignment for everyone. If you're ever feeling tempted, recognize this temptation and just go. Dum, 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 and then when you conquer it, Adonai in heaven's gonna go, my girl, my girl. So corny. I just came up with it, that's why. So, people beat themselves up because of their thoughts, and I completely understand that. But if thought does not lead to sinful action, it is temptation. And if you do not let it go into sinful action, you are victorious. You've conquered the temptation. So you shouldn't beat yourself up so much over it. And I say that with all thoughts. And I will even say, and I stand by it, that people who struggle with homosexual thoughts... And homosexual tendency, if they recognize it and don't turn it into homosexual behavior, because if you go back to Torah, the sin is not the feeling, the sin is the action. So if there is somebody who struggles with homosexual feelings and abstains from it, there is incredible victory in that. And that's so. what I always say to uh, somebody who does struggle with that, that there is an amazing opportunity. And what's the Bible verse around it? It's Isaiah, something at the end of Isaiah, and I don't remember, I wish I had it with me. The um, scripture where it says, the eunuchs who, and again, I'm sorry for paraphrasing, who keep my Sabbaths and my ways will have a name, a memorial, a name greater than the sons and daughters. Which means that if you choose to abstain sexually for the sake of the kingdom, there is a greater... I'm grabbing onto you as you walk into the kingdom. I'm following you. There seems to be special blessing in that. So I think somebody who struggles, I know somebody who struggles with homosexual tendencies has an amazing opportunity to just abstain. For the Lord and have amazing blessing. The temptation is not the sin. The sin is the action. And that's where, look at the Ten Commandments. First, and it's so amazing, I love that God put a, a temptation into the Ten Commandments. The first nine commandments have a reward for doing or not doing and a punishment for doing or not doing. The first nine. The tenth, don't covet. It doesn't mention any punishment because it's temptation. And I love that he put it into the Ten Commandments. Don't covet. Don't covet the stuff of your neighbor. Don't covet his donkey, his car, his house, his clothes, his spouse or her spouse, his job, his wealth, anything. But that's a heart issue. That is a temptation issue. If somebody went to the priest or the or the, the, the um, governing body of the time in Israel and said, I have to repent, I'm, I'm coveting. There's no punishment for it. It's knock it off before it becomes sin. Before the coveting leads, let's say, to stealing or to adultery or something like that. Do you understand what I'm saying? There is a very big and a very important difference between our temptations and sin. And temptation is not a sin, it is a gift from God that we are being warned that sin can be around the corner and we're supposed to recognize that and say okay corny Carol swaying in the background she was a Motown fan back in the 60s apparently so, where does temptation come from? I mean, it comes from the, the things within us where we have a propensity to sin in a certain area. We all got it. We all got it. We got it from that dude Adam. We got it. We all have a propensity in some area that it can lure us into it. We all got it. And Satan latches onto it because it can come from our own lusts of the flesh, but it's interesting that it says in Matthew when Yeshua was in the wilderness, the devil at that point is called the tempter. The tempter. The tempter came and said to him, if you are the son of God, command that these stones become bread. Do you see what Satan does, what his MO is, what his ammunition is? He finds our weakness and will talk to it. That's what he does. He will find our weakness and talk to it. So it's an enmeshment, so our temptations, man, I'm really hungry, right? And then Satan will come and say, well, you know, Cheesecake Factory has got so many cheesecakes that you can have. Don't you want it right now? Like, this is what Satan does. He will take our temptations and talk to us about those temptations. This is why it says resist the devil and he will flee. That's why. Resist the devil and he will flee, which means that when you are tempted and Satan's like, "Mm -hmm, mm mm-hmm, 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 yeah, wouldn't it be nice if you did this? Sorry, pal. That's his job, but no, I ain't taking the bait. And I don't want to give a message that is without grace and mercy because our God is an awesome God, and he loves us, and he knows we're imperfect, and we're going to mess it up. And we're going to give into this thing, and we're going to take that dangling carrot, and we're going to... Right? We're going to do it, sometimes. But we should have a passion for not sinning. We should have a passion for recognizing our temptations and saying, I'm not going to let the temptation turn to sin. And when we do that, we're victorious. So how does this relate to, there once was a man named Korah, who's in this week's portion of Torah. So we know what happened with Korah. We know that he, like I said, rebelled against Moses. We know that he was envious of Moses and with Aaron. And he went, as was read, he went to Moses and Aaron and said, you guys are elevating yourselves. We're all holy. Right? No more structure. We're all the same. Why are you elevating yourself? And it says that he wanted the priesthood. He was a Levite. He had this amazing role and he was a Levite, but he wanted the priesthood. So he came and he rebelled with a, about 250 people. So he got a little crew together. Where did this start? Where did this rebellion of Korah start? We have to go back all the way to Genesis. And I'm going to read a verse of what his ancestor Levi, anglicized to Levi, like the genes, did... All those years prior. Now, there was a story, and I don't need to get into the story, of when uh, Dina, their sister, was raped. And the brothers got really upset, and they kind of went in and they took care of the land. Uh, they, they, they slaughtered all the men. They had them circumcised. And then and when they were in pain, they slaughtered them. Do we know the story from the book of Genesis? The, the ones who concocted that whole plot was Simeon and Levi. Those are the two brothers that concocted it. So it came about on the third day when they were in pain that two of Jacob's sons, Simeon and Levi, Dina's brothers, each took his sword and came upon the city undetected and killed every male. It was Simeon and Levi who did that. And if you read the story, Jacob was not happy with it. This was not considered a good thing. So much so that when Jacob was going to die and he was giving his blessing Over his sons, his 12 sons, do we know that in Genesis uh, 49, he's speaking blessing over his sons. Prophetic blessing. What's going to happen, even specifically said, this is what's going to happen to you at the end of days. So he speaks prophetic blessing. And he combines Simeon and Levi, Shimon and Levi, in the same blessing. And he says, their swords are implements of violence. May my soul not enter their council. May my glory not be united with their assembly. So the fact that he, he lumped them together in the same blessing, and it really wasn't much of a blessing, right? Like, I would mother, much rather have had Zebulun's blessing. Zebulun was going to live by the sea. That was the only blessing that Zebulun got. He's going to have waterfront property. That's a good blessing. These guys got, you know, not, not so good. Zebulun, everybody looks at Judah's blessing. The lion, the cub, the scepter will not apart from you. Yeah. Give me the waterfront property. Amen? Zebulun. So, Simeon and Levi are lumped together. Clearly, in the pure sense, in the plain sense, in the Peshat. It's because of what they did, clearly. But these blessings are also prophecies. We know that. They're prophecies of the future. So what are they prophecies over? If you actually go into uh, the Jewish writings and the Talmud, um, the rabbis theorize and write down what were the prophetic fulfillments of this. And what the rabbis conclusively say is that what happened with Simeon Is what happens in like two chapters, two Torah portions from now. Which is when he was kind of, when he, the leader of the tribe of Simeon, Shimon. You know, shacked up with the Midianite in front of everybody. And Pinchas came in with the sword. That was what happened with Shimon. And Levi, the fulfillment of this is what happened with Korah. Because Korah was a Levite. So when Jacob was saying, may my soul not enter into their council, he foresaw... According to the rabbis, the revolt of Korah, which means that there was something already there in Korah, in the line, in the generational line. And we all have it. We all have things in our generational line. And I have to say that's also a blessing to recognize when we recognize it. Because if you have a propensity to be really angry, and if you take a step back and you're like, man, I'm acting like grandpa. That's a generation, that could be generational. Or if you have a propensity to some sort of sin or something, whatever it is, whatever degree anything, whatever it is, and you see it in your line. you know, that is a blessing to recognize that because the people of God are, are supposed to transcend these things. We're supposed to recognize this and say, aha, I get it. And it may have come from my generations, but Adonai, as best as I'm able in the name of Yeshua, it stops right here. It doesn't go down to another. Because if I continue in it, it's going to go down to my kids. And then they'll have the opportunity. And we'll just be praising the Lord from the cloud of witnesses when they conquer it. But we all have an opportunity when these, when we have these generational curses whatever you want whatever word you want to use we have these opportunities to recognize it and to and to recognize it as a temptation and to not continue that and we're all called to do it we're all called to do it we're all called to do it so he had this thing so when did the temptation convert to sin for Cora the man Cora like we don't Really have the backstory. The last time before this chapter, when we are introduced to Korah, the last the time that we see him previously is not like an Exodus 6, when there's like he's listing all the names of people that came out of Egypt at that time. is listed there. He was probably like a little kid. And he's listed there. Next time we see him, he's rebelling. So we don't really know the backstory, but we can. Surmise it. He saw Moses. He saw Aaron. He started to get a little ping in his spirit. (laughs) Why is Moses elevating himself like that? See, it started with temptation. Had to have had it. Started with a thought. Aaron? His brother? What's the Hebrew word for nepotism? Of all the people he could have elevated to the priest, to the Kohanim, his own stupid brother. This must have been the thought pattern. Not written. We only see it after it became, long after it became sin. So he had the thought. And the opportunity was there to not let the temptation turn to sin. But you know what Satan will do with our temptations also? He finds other people with the same temptation. So you can connect at that level. This is what Hasatan does. So all of a sudden Korah is like, hey, guy. You notice how Moses elevated his own brother? Like, aren't you a Levi too, like me? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I noticed that too. What do you What do you think of that? Like, let's pray about it. Let's lift it up to the Lord. I'm not sure if that's what we want, what God wanted. Let's Let's lift that up together. Satan is insidious. Do you see it? Do you see it in yourself? Do you see how easy it is? To like have a temptation, to have a root of bitterness, and then to find friends? And Satan's like, come on, I'll show you. You don't even have to look for it. Shut your eyes and I will turn you around like a top. And then when you open your eyes, you're going to be right in front of somebody who's going to relate to every evil thought that you have. And once Korah did that, it became sin. Sin. The lust was birthed, the sin was birthed from the lust. Do you get it? Do you get it? This is so important. It's important for all of us. It's important for all of us. And I'm sorry if it's not a message that's loaded up with, you know, the God loves you and the grace, because it's so true that there's so much grace. And God's plan for your life is so much greater than our ability to keep his ways perfectly. So much greater. So much greater. But we are called to live a holy life. And we're called to recognize the temptation and to not let it turn it bubble up into sin. And then what's that? See. To see, to see. Thank you, Steffi. To see. Thank you, Val. To see that. Yes, to see that. So then Cora, you know, found 250 people. That doesn't happen overnight. It doesn't happen overnight. This is an evil root that permeated through the camp. And God had to take, eventually had to take care of business. What is the spiritual truth? When we're tempted, what's a good way to counter it? And I don't want these to sound like platitudes, you know what I mean? Like so easy, you know what I mean? But there's a spiritual truth to counteract whatever evil thought we have. There's spiritual biblical truth that counters these things. Because what is the reality of what, the spiritual reality of what Korah was feeling? The spiritual reality is that in God's body, there are many parts. Many parts. And if you read 1 Corinthians 12, it talks about some are, you know, are, are um, more. What's the word that's in this in that scripture that are um, that are have more honor and less honor. There are some parts that have more honor and some, and some less, honor, but they all work together. It was spoken, gangrene was used in the, in the, in the, in the um, words that were projected here. Gangrene, gangrene, it, 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 it permeates from body part to body part. That's because we are all connected. One body, many parts. And that is the spiritual reality from God's perspective to counteract the struggle that Korah had. But instead he let his flesh overwhelm him. And I think there's also something spiritual to the fact that, his, that the ground consumed him. Because the ground represents what we're made of. And so it represents flesh. Not spirit, but flesh. And it consumed him and swallowed him up. And that's what happens sometimes when we let temptation just get birthed, unchecked within us. Flesh just consumes us. And I think that's what happened with him. So, above all else, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. It's one of my life verses from the Proverbs. Above all else, guard your heart. And recognize when there is a temptation there to sin. And recognize it and say, oh, there it is. That's temptation. Give yourself some grace. It's not sin. To recognize the temptation before it becomes something Else before it's it morphs into action or speech that's sinful. And now to turn it into how God uses this in amazing, amazing ways, even when we mess up. You heard in the worship today, there were a couple of songs written by the sons of Korah. And this is amazing, and this is God's mercy and his grace. Personified over the situation because Korah and his family got swallowed up by the earth. Right, kind of swallowed them. That ah, there they were gone. And then it says later in the book of Numbers it recounts that whole thing and it says, but the sons of Korah lived. The sons of Korah lived. Who did the sons of Korah become? They became psalmists. Generations later, the descendants of the same Korah that personifies evil and jealousy and got killed for it. His sons became psalmists and sang to the Lord. So yes, the song we sang from Psalm 46, God is our refuge and our strength and ever-present help. Times of trouble, Elohim, many people because it's a psalm say believe it's written by David. It was written by the sons of Korah. Is that beautiful? Thank you, Adonai. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. Not written by David, written by the sons of Korah. That's how God restores. What is broken. Thank you, Father. Better is one day in your courts. Better is one day in your house. Not written by King David. Written by the sons of Korah. And redeemed. There are so many psalms that we recite. Be still and know that he is God. Written by the sons of Korah. My favorite of the sons of Korah is a story. I think it's in 2nd Chronicles 20 or 1st Chronicles 20. One of the Chronicles 20. When there was a king of Israel or Judah, Jehoshaphat. And it's a very famous story. Because he was being attacked by a, a, a several nations, surrounding nations. And he was frightened. And then a prophet went to him and said, you don't need to fight this battle. Set yourself. Stand still. And see the salvation of the Lord. Don't be afraid of this great multitude, for the battle is not yours, but God's. And then he got together some praisers to sing to the Lord. Give thanks to the Lord. To sing praise to the Lord. And as these praisers sang to the Lord, the enemy was confounded and just started to kill each other. It's an amazing story of victory. Do you know who those praisers are? The sons of Korah. Thank you, Adonai. Thank you, Father. And that's his redemption right there. And that's his restoration right there. And that's his plan is so much greater than our ability to keep his ways perfectly. So let's guard our hearts. And let's try to. Remember when these guys rise up within us and put it down. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Your ways are greater than our ways. Thank you, Father. And we know and we believe and we trust that it's Yeshua HaMashiach, Jesus the Messiah, that kept the commandments perfectly, perfectly. And he lives within us and we receive his righteousness. Thank you, Father. And that's our identity. Not the identity of how well we're doing it or not doing it, but his righteousness is our identity. And we know that. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Amen. Amen.